Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Welcome to the Ask Stephanie show on the Coffee Clatch Network. I'm thrilled to be interviewing the incredible Mark Elliott, author of What Makes You Tick and 2011 College Speaker of the Year. He is an amazing guy. When I met Mark, I couldn't help but be in awe of his confident, funny, good-looking, energetic guy that was in front of me. He's, he's the kind of guy that you meet and say, I have to set him up with one of my friends. He's such a great catch. But Mark has not had an easy journey through life so far, and beneath his bright demeanor, there are a lot of hurdles that he's had to jump over to get where he is today. He's truly a role model for kids, for adolescents, teens, young adults who are struggling with Tourette's syndrome, or really any other disorder where life hasn't been all that easy. So I am so happy to introduce to you Mark Elliott. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I went from this is a dating show to I'm crying. That was I was so nice of you. I knew you would really like my intro, but it really is. It's so true. Even my daughter who met you was like, he's so cool, Bob. He's so awesome. So he, I really genuinely mean it. He's, I mean, anyone who's listening, he just if you meet Mark, he's just this really regular, awesome, cool guy that every one of us would be friends with. So I, I just had to get that across because, I think sometimes parents, you know, just they want they want to know that their kids will turn out as good as you have turned out. Well, so I that is incredibly gracious of you. I I think I, you know, one thing I definitely have done my whole life is put on a pretty good smile about everything, uh, and especially when I'm on stage, you know, people just see sort of this final product of this really polished, you know, presentation. And I think, yeah. you know, sometimes people do forget, like, hey, I am just like anyone else. I struggled just like anyone else. Or, um, you know, some people struggle way more than me. Some some people struggle less. Um, but, yeah, I'm just, just like anybody. <laughs> so you thank are. you for that. Okay, well, I have a million questions for you tonight. And many parents and kids who were listening and there were parents who emailed me and contacted me through Twitter and Facebook and they have questions for you so I'm hoping we'll get to all of them um, because I, I know you have a lot a lot to say so um, we're going to talk about your journey through Tourette's from when you were a child um, you know Tourette's can be this very taboo disorder that everyone I think is curious about you know why do people with Tourette's do the things they do and can they really control some of their behaviors? And, you know, that's sort of a question that we'll, we'll get to. But I want to talk about 
um, let's just go back to the beginning. At, at what age were you diagnosed with Tourette's, and did you really realize at that point that, like, what impact those that that it, that your tics and your compulsions and what what did you think that that you know did you notice at that point in your life that that was going to be like for you? Totally. Uh, the first time. I mean, the first time I actually went to a neurologist was when I was nine years old. I think my dad was reading an article on Ann Landers. I don't know if that's a nas- if she's national or not, um, but he had recognized sort of some of my my tickish behaviors and then read the article and was like, oh, okay, maybe Mark's got something else going on here. Uh, but my tics definitely started when I was much younger. You know, starting when I was around five or six, which is I think really common for for a lot of people that develop tics uh, at that young of an age, yeah. and. The thing is, I didn't really have the kind of tics that were that really brought the kind of attention that was like something is something is off here. Uh, it really wasn't until I was in middle school that my tics get so apparent. Even though that I had sort of this diagnosis that I had mild Tourette syndrome, even though my teachers we we informed them, you know, in middle school, you know, they wouldn't even have known necessarily. It was inconspicuous. My, were you it was hiding inconspicuous. it? Well, I, whether or not I was conscious of it, I think I definitely was suppressing it a bunch, right. especially when I was young in, you know, like the sixth and seventh grade. And then my mom said, you know, that I would come home and I would be a Tasmanian devil sort of in the house and, and, and unleash. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, it started very mi- with very mild stuff, blinking, roll-eyeing, um, sort of this sniffing, not the sniffing inward, but an outward sniff where things would come out of my nose but really very innocuous sorts of thing and and you know one thing i'm so lucky for is that even though i have these these interesting behaviors and these tics that my parents never never punish me i mean my dad says one time he remember, remembered putting me in time out but i am so lucky for that because you know there's you know re- regardless if you have tics or no tics i mean it was just amazing that my parents were just sort of let me be who i was even if it might be annoying so yeah was, no absolutely was, you i mean it, i read your book and it really you had a very supportive family which is you i know you feel very lucky about that so i mean for for parents out there listening is is there anything that you sort of think that your parents did right in handling your Tourette's that you sort of would say this is like just if there's anything you could take away from this interview, like what is it that your parents, what sticks out in your mind from like even a young age? <clears throat> this, I think the coolest thing that my parents did is that in a sense they didn't do anything. That once we, once that they had this diagnosis, my life didn't change at all. In fact, I don't even think we talked about Tourette's really. Um, it wasn't until, you know, my tics got way more evident, and all of a sudden it started in, it started to impact other people's lives other than just my own. Did we talk about it more? But the thing is, is that my parents really didn't change their behavior with me at all, or none that I can remember that was so apparent. And the reason that I think that this is so important is because the fact is my parents didn't make it a big deal, and therefore it wasn't a big deal for me. Yeah, I and think that's I didn't huge. feel like. You know, it's really interesting the way that, you know, a lot of times when, like, people, you know, like, someone will come up to me and they'll go, Mark, oh, my God, listen, 
I, my, my kid has ticks. Like, do you think like I should take them to the neurologist and like, get them diagnosed? And in my opinion of that is, is like, look, whether or not you have a diagnosis is sort of irrelevant in, in, in the sense of like, all that really matters is like, you know, how, what kind of experience of life is your child having? You know, that's like really what it comes down to. Right. And what was so cool is that my parents really just continued to foster this incredible experience in life for me. And that's yeah. really what it comes down to. I think that's amazing because I know I get calls and from parents just from what I do, and it's this freaking out sort of like they have they have, they have ticks. They you know there's an eye blink or there's you know like a sniffing or whatever it is. They're clearing their throat, and it immediately I think parents hear tick and they think Tourette's and they think the worst and. They freak out, and they they don't call one doctor; they call five. You know, they just don't know what to do. And I think that you saying to do nothing really is very profound. I think going over the top, and there's like there's nothing they can do about it anyway, sort of. So you might as well not freak out about it and just make it sort of like this is our life, and let's make it as regular and normal as possible. Well, that's well, Stephanie. What's so interesting about that is that what if it's the case that it actually is normal, in the sense of like, what if everyone just has something like, right? It's so, and and obviously that's it's trivial to say it like that. But what's so interesting is that I think a lot of times when and sort of like the way that again, this is just a generalization, but the way that the med- the medical community experiences things sometimes and is that somehow there's something wrong. Right. You know, so like if if my child has tics or like if my my child is experiencing obsessive compulsive thoughts or my child is, is hyperactive, whatever that is, that like something is wrong. When like, well, what if nothing is wrong? It just is. Right. And like we're just going to like do life and continue on life, but there's nothing wrong. And, yeah. and that's well, what Well, I mean, so you have cool. a very interesting way of looking at it and it's really like a great way for parents to say to stop and sort of say, like, hmm, I never thought about it that way. So well, I think that's interesting. And I think what's cool is that it's so it, that goes way beyond ticks. You know, it's it's really just about like loving your child for like you know maybe for their quirks, they, whatever right, they are. Their quirks. They talk a lot. They don't talk a lot. Like yes, it is clearly that's where I experience it the most. And um, I know uh, that you read the book, but most people haven't. I also had an intestinal disease, which virtually left me with almost no intestines. And I had a very different childhood with that as well. And, and the yeah. same thing goes with that. My parents were incredible. And they they didn't make it seem like something was wrong with me, even though I was living a life clearly different than other young children. So that's what I would say to anyone, is just really embrace your child for, for who they are and, and let them sort of come into their own skin. And, and that's the best you could, anyone could do, I think. Yeah, that's good advice. Well, okay, I have a question for you just, uh, you know, just as far as friendships. How do you feel, did you struggle um, keeping friendships, making friendships? How did you How did you fare in that? Well, there's two, there's sort of the experience that I had while I was in it, and then there's the experience of friends sort of after, um, you know, like getting out of middle school and out of high right. school. Uh, right, right. While I was in it, I mean, I was really lucky in the sense that I had a lot of friends since I was in kindergarten, and I 
and I grew up with them. And again, my ticks weren't really that big of a deal. And but when I was got into middle school, uh, when I was transitioning from eighth grade to ninth grade, there was no question that I was definitely beginning to have issues with friends. Uh, and at the time, it was definitely difficult and hard to understand because here these were my best friends. But it must have been very difficult for them. I mean, imagine being in eighth grade. They were embarrassed. Like, what do you think? They were curious. They were confused. They were embarrassed. I mean, I do. I get it. I I have a son in middle school, so the kids are. That's like their highly judgmental age. So, are you? Are they looking uncool if they're hanging out with you because you're acting weird to them? Like, what do you think? I yes. So I think it's the whole the whole the whole gambit. It's. One is, you know, imagine being in eighth grade and you're going out to a movie theater and your best friend is taking the N-word or is taking racial slurs. Now, that might be your best friend in the whole world. That still might be a very uncomfortable situation regardless what age you are, let alone just being in eighth grade. And I think that was hard for me to understand while Mm -hmm. I was in it. Of course, in retrospect, it's like beyond understandable. Like, (laughs) look, like that's just hard for anyone. (laughs) Right, Um, right. There's other times where I think it's really important to recognize that, especially with what I was dealing with and someone that has really severe tics, that it is just weird on on, on just sort of a uh, a fundamental level of like, look, this is very different behavior. Right. Like this isn't, you know, it isn't just like I'm whistling all the time. Like I am doing sometimes or was doing some incredibly intense physical things, intense vocal things, and take away take away all the friendship stuff. If you're just in public and you see something like that, you just might be curious or you might be weirded out and know nothing about the person and have no right. judgment about that person as well. Does that make sense? So it's, It makes it's, a lot of sense. I mean, so, I mean, I have a lot of questions even just about that. I mean, as a do you think there were friends whose parents tried to foster a friendship with you because they said, you know, Mark really needs a friend right now and it would really be, it's important to our family for you to reach out to him? Or do you think parents were like, you know what, honey, not a good thing. This is a kid to stay away from. You're going to be, like, embarrassed a lot. Stay People are going to judge from, you. Stay away think- from the kid who will chomp your fingers off if you put it in. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to like anyone stay who, away from Mark or like be yeah. really good to him. What do you think? Just, what was just your clar- experience? Just to clarify the joke, I used to chomp my teeth. So for anyone uh, okay. that didn't know me, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it was the one about, hey, you should go be friends with Mark. One, I did have a very good group of core friends, like I said, because I grew up with a lot of people. Um, there also might have been cases, you know, where people were like, hey, you know, you might want to steer clear. I, I, I have no idea, though. I don't know if that's the case or not. But, if again, if that was the case, it's totally understandable, especially in retrospect. Right. Uh, one thing that I'm – you can call it luck. You can call it fate. You can call it because of my environment, my parents. Like, I also was a very outgoing child. And I think, obviously, that played a huge part into my ability to eventually advocate for myself. So it wasn't, you know, a lot of people with tics and things like that, they they already might they might have the tendency to be a very shy kid. Obviously, right. that's going to make it more difficult that if you're shy and on top of it you're doing these very sort of strange or different or weird behaviors, that's only going to compound the effects. Right. For me, though, no, you know, when true. I was in, You were just you know, naturally in, an outgoing person, so right. it made it easier for you, you're saying, to just really 
have friends. Right. And be social. And, and so just want to be very honest about that. It's not like I necessarily did special things when I was younger. Um, right. As I got older, there's no questions that I, I definitely did things on a very proactive level to try to advocate for myself as much as possible. And this is sort of the number two lesson to parents um, on top of the sort of just love your child for who they are is, you know, really helping them understand and developing skills of what it means to be an advocate for yourself and how can you really take responsibility for your life. The reality is, is that when you look around the world, like every single human being has stuff going on. We all have issues. And so if you really want something done for your life, the person you're going to have to count on the most is really yourself. That doesn't deny the fact that we all need support. And believe me, I have had an army of people help me. But, you know, at the end of the day, what's really cool is if you can also know that you can do that for yourself and really put your your best effort out there to make it your, your life better. And so as I got older, uh, you know, when my my family and I, when I got to high school, we met with the administrators, we met with the teachers, and we told them about my Tourette syndrome, we told them about my bathroom situation, and on the first day of every class, I got up in front of the, the I got up in front of the classroom and told all these students, "Hey, my name is Mark. I have Tourette syndrome." And of course, I tell people by the end of the four years of high school, people would be like, "Okay, Mark's Tourette's <laughs> announcement." Um, right. But if there was one new kid in the class, it was really important for me to do that. Right. I say all this because these these things did play a huge factor in in helping me develop friends. You know, it wasn't something that I just hid. And I really did my best effort to make my experience of, of high school and, and middle school and post-high school uh, just like anyone else's. And how do you think teachers, being in a classroom, I mean, it's look, it's hard for teachers as it is in middle school and high school to keep kids quiet. I mean, whether it's Tourette's or, you know, a kid who's quirky or ADHD or wild or just funny and loud and jerky, what, how do you think the teachers were to you, and what kind of advice for teachers that are listening could you give them for a child who has Tourette's to to make it as positive an experience at school as possible? I am incredibly lucky, again, of how much support I had um, and how how understanding my teachers were. I had a really interesting experience where after I finished the book, um, or while I was writing my book, I ended up going back to my high school. Um, and I went to two different high schools. So I switched high schools after my freshman year mm-hmm. in St. Louis. And I went and I was talking to one of my teachers. And he had told me that when I moved to the new school, that there were conversations on a very high level in the school district about potentially building a glass booth around me in every classroom. And Unbelievable. Well, I say this not because I think it's it's bad that they proposed that. I mean, you know, I think, you know, they had no idea what Tourette's was, what it was going to be like, how it would affect other students. The reason that this story is so cool, um, Stephanie, is because it makes me really emotional as well, is because my family and myself never knew about that. Right. So what was so cool was that there were so many people at the school that without me even starting at that school, were, were, were all like, totally batting for me. Right. And all of my teachers were just totally... So I I just share that to show the level of support that I had. That right. is not the same case with everyone. Uh, but all the teachers, you know, everyone dealt with it differently. And 
I definitely think one, a couple of very specific things. One thing that definitely helped with my teachers being supportive is that I was also really understanding of my teachers and being very lenient with how they wanted to deal with it. You know, everyone experiences it differently. Everyone, you know, imagine being in a classroom of 25 kids and, and one kid is ticking boring. Right. You know, that's not easy to, to deal it's, with. Right, it's yeah. not easy. That's right. So if, you know, one teacher wanted to make jokes about it, I let him make jokes or I let her make jokes about it. You know, I wasn't going to try to dictate the rules. <laughs> right. Of, and, and you know, anyone could point to whatever laws they want to about disabilities and all this sort of stuff. But the reality is, it's like, look, we all have an effect on other people. And I am doing things, whether it might, even though it might be incredibly difficult for me to control, you know, I still have an effect. And I, and I really was trying to be cognizant of that. So with teachers, I really was lenient on how they wanted to deal with it. Um, you know, I had a, uh, I always tell the story of I was in my Spanish class. Uh, her name was Sinora um, Roman. And she goes, uh, I was taking the F word. And she goes, Marcos, you cannot say that word in my class. And mind you, she, she clearly knew I had Tourette's, the whole, everyone, right. in the cl- everyone in the class. And she said, but if you do, it better be in Spanish. <laughs> and, you know, I think it really just sort of illustrates of, you know, everyone dealt with it differently. Right. Just one other piece of advice for, for parents or anyone out there is that I think it's really important to, you know, if your child is dealing with a lot of stuff, ticks or anything for that matter, that you do not feel entitled that they should, that the school should be understanding because the reality is, is like, if somebody wants to be understanding, it is their choice. And it'd be great if we all lived in a world where people were understanding. But if you come at it with the mindset of, look, they don't have to be understanding, it's only going to be an uphill. Excuse me, it's only going to be, you know, it's only going to be a positive experience after that. Right. But if, you know, when you, if you go in. expectations realistically, you're saying. Right. Well, because I think it's just really important to understand that even if there is a law that says they have to be understanding, that doesn't right. mean someone has to be understanding. You're right. It seems and, also like with me, like from and from meeting you and talking to you, that like you definitely used a lot of humor in your life to sort of make the situation more manageable for for other people and for yourself. Do you think that to be true? I definitely think that's true. I think that it's a. I think it's a double-edged sword, though. The humor was was amazing in many cases in which it allowed other people to be comfortable with it, and like humor was a way that other people dealt with it. What I also do see now much more clearly is that it also was a, a way for me sort of to hide the pain. Mm-hmm. You know that I think I was in denial a lot about how how difficult times were, and I was using the humor to sort of cover that up. Right. Um, doesn't mean that that it's bad. It's just sort of in retrospect, I can see that more clearly now. Um, but of course, I mean, there was there was definitely, you know, if, if if I'm living my life, I can, you know, when something happens, someone makes fun of me or something really, you know, I do a funny tick, I can either, you know, be really down about it or I can choose to laugh about it. You know, and I, you know, I only got one life here, and and I rather choose to laugh about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, okay, so I have I have a million questions, but just I'm just looking to see. You know, yeah. in your book, you say that some people thought that you picked because you were 
reflecting some subconscious thought about that person. So like if you were saying you're an alcoholic or you're gay or you were taking racial slurs, that you were subconsciously thinking it and it was just coming out in your tick. Do you think that that's true? So the question is, was it on my subconscious? So when I was in public and I would tick the N-word, well, let me take a step back. The way that I, whether I'm speaking or whether it's in the book or if I'm just talking to someone, the way that I describe Tourette's syndrome is that Tourette's syndrome is that there is this itch. There's a very uncomfortable sensation inside of me that's very, very uncomfortable. Um, And to me, that is the disorder of Tourette's syndrome. It is this itch that is completely involuntary, okay? Mm -hmm. What people then see me do which is a tick, or what they used to see me do, or other people, whether it be chomping or making making noises or, or anything, that is actually me scratching the itch, trying to get rid of the discomfort. So in a sense, when someone sees me tick, they're actually seeing me cope with my Tourette's. I just want to make something very clear. That's just my opinion and how I view right. it. Uh, but I think for other people that tick, you know, you you can ask them, and I think a lot of them, you know, really sort of that, that metaphor – or analogy really resonates with them. So when I would go out in public, what would happen is that a lot of times I would think to myself, what is the riskiest thing I could do or say? And whatever that was, that then became my itch. Mm -hmm. I mean, so some people sort of view this as obsessive compulsive behaviors. I mean, in my opinion, the OCD and the the Tourette's are, are almost identical in the sense of really there's this underlying very uncomfortable itch and then I feel that I need to do something in order to get rid of the discomfort. So what would happen is is that I would be in this pub, I would be in the pub, I, excuse me, I would be in public, I would think of something risky, that might you could call that the obsessive thought. Mm-hmm. That would then become my itch. So now on inside of me I would feel like I would need to say the N-word and if I didn't say the N-word, I would get more and more uncomfortable. Right. And it's very hard to describe what that is, but that's that's what the itch is. And it wouldn't go away until I that's scratched it. That's the perfect it. way to describe it, though. It really is. So I think to, to answer people your are question curious specific, about Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. So to answer your question specifically, was it on my subconscious? Well, it's not that I actually hate black people, or it's not that I hate my brother, or it's not that I'm, I was trying to say something negative purposely right. to something inflammatory to insult someone. Was it something that was inside of my psyche? Yes. But it was because I was actively thinking about, well, what is risky for me to say right now? And also understand, Stephanie, this, wasn't, this isn't a process that takes a long time. When you meet someone in Instant. milliseconds, you could know something risky to say. <laughs> right. It's not right. like you have to look someone up and down and be like, hmm, you know, <laughs> We've, what should I of, say to really bug bug them? It just right. comes to you. I get it. Yeah, that's like your mind is thinking very quickly, and instead of being able to throw that thought in the garbage, which people do all the time, you are thinking, I have to say this, I have to say this, and you just are saying it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have another question for you, but I see that we have a caller, so I'm going to see if I can pick this up. Hold on. We have a Let's caller. See. We have a caller. Hold on. <laughs> Okay. Um, area code 913. Hello? Hello. How are you doing? Hi. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? Good. Do you have a question for Mark? 
Well, um, interestingly enough, me and Mark Elliott go way back, um, back, back to childhood. I knew Mark in a an organization called NIFTY. And Mark, this is TJ, by the way. Oh, TJ. <laughs> How are you, buddy? Oh, TJ, I'm doing great, man. <laughs> so, really, not to take up too much of your time, but really, I was just interested. I think we just lost TJ. <laughs> I just lost a log log, a log log friend. A log log friend. We lost TJ. Let's hope he calls back because TJ, he's interested. He has a question for you. He, and you know what? He was on his cell phone, so it wasn't a good connection. So we're going to wait I'm for so, TJ. I'm so that glad was you so told nice, me to, to, I'm so glad you told so, me to get a landline. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Okay. Well, <laughs> while we're waiting for TJ to call us back, um, it's interesting because I was reading in your book that um, something that your best friend told you, that the hardest thing about being your friend wasn't that you had Tourette's, but it was that she never knew if it was the Tourette's or if it was just you being you, like a jerk, she said, and you being a teenager, and she couldn't really tell the difference, which I thought was so interesting um, because she really viewed you as just this regular friend who guys as teenagers are silly and funny and sometimes inappropriate, and, you know, how was she able to tell the difference? How are your you're, friends you're, able to tell? Yes, yeah, so you're talking about my good friend, my good friend named Jody, who yeah. Yeah. I dearly and still, still love, uh, even after she called me the jerk. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't. It's a that is a tough one to answer, Stephanie. I I think it's 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 just difficult. You know, when you are. You know, when you are doing those kinds of behaviors, it's really hard to distinguish those behaviors from behaviors of your personality. Right. Well, let me, let me, maybe I should rephrase that. When you have such outlandish behavior, it's very, those behaviors sort of mask other behaviors that you might be living, that you might that you that you live with on a day to day basis. Yeah. Let me just no. maybe I can give you more. Sorry, that's just no. I've, I've never have answered that before. Okay, I know I'm you're going to ask me about it. Is. I'll give you. I know you're going to be asking me about it shortly. But you know, clearly, I'm I'm not ticking on the phone as. That's right. As we'll talk about of that, because of some really cool things that have happened. I, I basically have almost evolved my Tourette's entirely. Which what is, is so interesting now. What no, thank you. What's so interesting now, Stephanie, is that now that I'm not ticking, mm-hmm. I now am seeing all of these other things about my personality and about my behavior that I do that I never could really see before because I was ticking so much. Mm. That's so interesting. What I mean by this specifically is that my whole life I've been really intense. I'm a pretty intense kind of person. <laughs> like uh here I graduate college and then I travel on the road for four years and have 500 engagements like it's kind of intense um and just like with a lot of things that i do in life i'm very very intense what's so interesting is that i never really could see that before in life because i was living with tourettes I mean, i was living with these ticks so imagine if someone came up to me beforehand in life and they said hey mark you know you're like kind of intense like you might just want to chill out a little bit 
my response to them would be, yeah, what do you expect? Look what I do every day. Right. I don't know if this is. I had a lot going on, so I mean, I just, you know, it's like I think sometimes, like what you're trying to say is that aside from you having Tourette's, you're still like this regular person who has other things going on besides ticking. Right. Correct. Right. Exactly. And it's just, you know, I. Like you're a human, just like everyone else. You have a bad day, like everyone else. But I think everyone's just like, well, you're ticking, so that's your that's your bad day. But meanwhile, you're you have other things that are bothering right. just like everyone else. Right. And what was difficult with this is that because of my 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 tics that I really did try to overcompensate and try to be super nice. And right. that was really difficult to deal with as well because, you know, I, I wanted everyone to like me because I thought I mean for plenty of reasons, but that also played into it. So you know, there was just a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on inside. And so, you know, her, a comment like that from Jody is just saying, look, you know, I think it's she also recognized that yes, like there is still a guy here and he still has other other things going on just like anyone else. I think you put right. it I think you put it best. Okay, TJ is back, so we're gonna see if his phone works. We're gonna cross our fingers and hope because he has a question for you. So hold Okay. On. <laughs> okay, TJ? TJ. Hey guys. Hi. Hey. So, um quick two part question for you, Mark. Okay. Um, so I know Time remaining. because I've known you well, um, oh I know that you've, in a sense, overcome your your ticking. Um, so if if you had to account that to something, um, which knowing that you describe threats as an itch, I know that in a sense you just sort of scratch it in a different way. Okay, wait, so TJ. Yes. Hold your thought because. I think that Mark's phone is disconnected. So, Mark? No, the phone is disconnected. So, hold oh, your man. thought. <laughs> but I this love that it. you called. He'll call right back. Of course. He knows, how to, he knows how to connect. I love that you called to talk to him. How long have you guys, how long have you known Mark for? Oh, man. I met him, I was 14 years old. Mark. So. Wait, he's back. Mark? This is just, like, really fun for me. This never happened before. You guys are really doing a number on me tonight. Okay, he's back. He's known you since he's 14. We're old friends. Okay, TJ, Mark is back. Mark, talk to TJ. TJ, what's up? I'm I'm nothing at all, Mark. How are you, man? Did you hear the question? No. I did not. Just could you repeat it for me? Thanks. I can. So um, I know that you've, in a sense, overcome um, that, that urge to tick. And having described your kicks as as an itching, as you have to scratch something, would you attribute overcoming it to, in a sense, learning to scratch it in a different way, or is that itch no longer there? Um, I'm just interested in in is the Tourette still within yourself? You've just learned to sort of subdue it. That's an awesome question. Just Stephanie, are you gonna? Just for the sake of the interview, are there some other things that you wanted to ask first before I get to that? Um, no, that's okay. We can go back to it because it's, I mean, everyone who's listening, I think, is just going to be very excited, obviously, to, and they hear you, so you're speaking and know that you are not ticking right now. So that's yeah. fine. Of course. Fine. No, TJ, first off, it's an awesome question. The, I'll give you sort of the quick, the quick rundown. So, you know, this wasn't that... This is this didn't just happen like overnight. 
a couple of years ago, I started to take these incredible human potential courses in New York City. And these courses have nothing to do with Tourette syndrome specifically or, or medical conditions for that matter. You know, they're just really, they're a personal development course. And what was happening is that as I was taking these courses, I started to become, basically it's a course that helps you teach you how your emotions and thoughts work. And what happened is, is that up to that point, before I started taking them, one thing that was happening with the Tourette's and, and the OCD is that there was this incredible amount of judgment that was happening internally. And I think this, you know, this isn't just unique to Tourette's or OCD and things. I think a lot of us judge ourselves on many levels. But with the Tourette's and the OCD, like, there was this incredible internal war within my head. And it wasn't until finally this one friend of mine called me out after I started speaking. He goes, Mark, you know, you're the biggest hypocrite I know. He goes, you're going around the country speaking about tolerance, and you don't even tolerate yourself. And until he said that to me, I never had looked at my life like that. And he was the one that actually introduced me to the courses. So what was so cool is that as I started to take these courses, I started to reverse the judgment that I had for myself. And I started to find more love and compassion. And this is something that I never could have ever imagined fathomable, was that as I did that, my itch literally started to go down. So, again, this is only something in my own life. I don't know if this is the case for other people. But what was so cool is that something that I believed was a physical limitation my whole, my whole life ended up also having a lot of emotional factors as well, which also made sense in terms of like how when I got stressed out, when I got stressed out, the itch got worse. Um, you know, in, in puberty, it got worse. Like there was just a lot of factors that sort of that made sense and that my, my psychology and my emotions might be playing a factor. So to answer your question is yes, my itch has gone down immensely. I don't know the exact percentage. You could say it's probably down like 95%. I still experience the itch on a very low level. But something else that has that is really cool that has happened is that through through these tools, I actually have been able to change my perception of the itch as well. And here's what I mean by this. My whole life, I had this really bad itch, right? I'm a little kid and there's this, this itch and I go, ooh, that's a bad itch. And I don't want to, and I was like, I don't want to feel that. And then I ticked, and then I felt better. Well, imagine, and again, this is just, this is totally hypothetical, but imagine if when I was a little kid, it actually decided that that itch that I had wasn't a bad itch, that it was actually a good itch, and I would never need to scratch it. An example is, and I use this example all the time, is that, do you know how a lot of people love massages, and a lot of people hate massages, but there's still pain that's associated both times, but one person loves it and one person hates it. So that's actually what I've been able to do with my itch as well on many levels, is that I instead of having to try to control it and, and not scratch it, I can actually embrace the itch and not feel that I have to scratch it at all. Okay. Does that make sense, what I, what I just said? Absolutely. It really does. Cool. And I think you also have this total, you know, taking this course for whatever it was, was just such a different focus for you. So instead of focusing on the itch, you were able to focus on something more meaningful to you. Yeah. I mean, what's what's so cool, and again, this is like, I didn't know this was going to happen, is that I didn't focus on like working on the ticks or, you know, or anything like that. I just ended up working on me. And as I did that, it ended up having tremendous effects. 
yeah, effects on the itch. So, um, and and I want to make something so clear is that, you know, I don't know if this is the case for other people. All I know is that in my own life, you know, I had a certain, I had a certain pattern. I had a certain behavior that I was doing over and over and over again, and I was doing it my whole life. And it wasn't until I was older and someone challenged the way that I think about myself was I able to then sort of accomplish things, unimaginable things. You know, I was really able to look at myself in a completely different way and, and understand that, wait a minute, maybe I actually am playing way more into this than I ever ever imagined possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other thing is, is that I was really open to that. You know, I, I think that if, and again, this goes way beyond Tourette's syndrome, is that if you want to change something in your life, you have to be open to the change. Because uh, let's say that you can't change it, Let's say at the end of the day you can't change something. Well, it can't change at all if you're not open to it. And if you do want it to change, you at least have to be open to it. That was That's maybe true. a tongue twister. Did that make sense? No, it did. Um, so, so, and uh, I took a lot yeah. of work, but it's clearly the results have just been, I mean, I, I, I live an unimaginable life now. Yeah. Well, and which I'll, I definitely have some questions about, too. So, TJ, do you have any other questions for Mark? No, I'll get out of here. <laughs> TJ, I'll call <laughs> you soon. Thank you. Thanks, okay, thank you, TJ. Okay, bye. Okay, Mark? Yes. Okay, that's so cool. He said he's known you since you were 14. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely know TJ. That's so great. <laughs> okay, so here's a question for you. So do you think that you lived your life thinking, I'm always going to tick, It's I have to just get used to this, um, it's my reality, That's that's my life, or do you think that you lived your life thinking, when is this going to end? When am I going to have this ticking stop and, you know, my life is going to be more normal and more manageable? How do you think you went through your life thinking? When I was in high school and college, I definitely, there were many times that I thought this was going to be it for a long, long time. I didn't Mm -hmm. know how long. I definitely knew that. Did your doctors a, say to you, like, this is it, Mark, you're ticking, you have severe Tourette's, and just get used to it? Or were they supportive in saying, you know what, things change, you get older, you're got, after puberty, you get to be, you know, in college, a lot of kids tick. Like, how were they about it? Well, on that note, Stephanie, I didn't really see doctors after after I was a junior in high school. Oh, okay. So I didn't really, and this, and this goes back to what I, what I said before is, like, you know, the you only were just reason sort of like, okay, this is the deal. Like, I have Tourette's, and I don't need to check in with anyone because I have this, right. and this is what it is. <laughs> right. Like, it's okay. not like I stopped talking to doctors or anything, but, like, I wasn't actively seeing someone to, like, monitor. Right. You weren't getting medical like, treatment for this. Yes, I wasn't getting medical treatment. Because uh, I did try some medication in middle school and high school, and, and for me, the side effects were incredibly intense of sedation. Right. So... As I got older in, in high school and, and in college, yes, part of me felt on some level that I, I could potentially be ticking for a very long time. There's no question that my ticks definitely went down some as I continued to get older. You know, but in, I think it was in 2005, or 2000, 2005, my years are totally off. In 2011, I was named College Speaker of the Year by Campus Activities Magazine, and at that point, I still had full-blown Tourette's. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I was ticking less, but I was still ticking the N-word. 
So was I kicking as, as intensely as I was in high school? No. Uh, was I still kicking a lot? Yes. So, and that was as of 2011. Um, right. Yeah, you know, part of me did yeah. feel that, like, you know, maybe one day it would potentially go away, but, like, you know, I was making that up. But you were fine with living your life saying, if this is what it is, I'm going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of, uh, you know, those the pictures that have a beautiful scene and then there's a quote on the bottom. Well, I had one in middle school, and it was a skier doing moguls, and it said challenges on the top, and on the bottom it said a bump in the road is either an obstacle to be fought or an opportunity to be enjoyed. Dot, 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 it's all up to you. Mm-hmm. And I really took that to heart of understanding that, look, things are going to come my way, and, you know, I can, it really is up to me. It's my, it's, it's how I perceive what's going on is really what's going to dictate my experience of my life. And I also talk about in the book that when I was in high school, I, I worked at a camp in St. Louis for kids with cancer. And yeah. it was, that was an eye-opening yeah, experience of like... share about that. It was eye-opening. Well, it was, I, I read about that and I, you're right. I mean, that was, I'm sure for you, um, well, you can explain, but, you know, like things are always and I, my mother says it to me all the time, like things could always be worse. And you look at the things that you're feeling lucky about, and it always stops me in my tracks. Did you feel like that working with kids with cancer? Yeah, well, here I was, you know, I'm in the prime of my of my ticking. I am also having, you know, all my intestinal, you know, the, or the, uh, the effects of the intestinal thing is that basically I have five to eight very loud liquid bowel movements a day. So I just mentioned that because it's, that's just a very big part of my life. Yeah. But here I was, like, going to the bathroom all the time. I'm ticking. I'm a sophomore in high school uh, and even a junior right. in high school. And Not and easy. Not easy. Like, And then just dealing, like, you know, with everything else going on in life and, and all that. And then I go to this camp, and there's a six-year-old with Hodgkin's lymphoma that could die any time. And, like, this kid's being joyful. Or there's an 11-year-old, you know, that has some kind of cancer, and, like, these kids are doing just fine. So it's not about the fact that something could be worse even. It's just that, look, it is your perception of what's happening is that all that matters. So I always tell people that, especially now, whether you're kicking or not kicking is totally irrelevant. The question is, what is your experience of life? Right. That's all that really matters. uh, Yeah, I wonder, you know, if maybe you letting go of the fact that it doesn't matter if you're kicking will make you tick less. I mean, was there ever, can you recall or do you feel like, parents always ask this, but like being in a different environment, allergies, weather, um, you know, age, had like, do you remember any of that as being something that made your ticks worse or better at any point? The only thing, which is very general, is stress. You know, anything that caused me to be more stressful. Okay. Maybe. Anything that was stressed would just would increase the tick. So, you know, I it's now especially if I talk to a parent with, you know, that that a parent of a child who ticks of, if you want to help your child, you need to transform yourself. Mm-hmm. Parents have very, a huge let, role in all of this. Let, yeah, let me be very clear about this: is that you know, so many times we try to, um, you know, we want to change if. How do I how do I word this? I meet people now, and they are very, very worried about their child. 
mm-hmm. you know, and about what's going on in their life. And the whole what's so funny is that if you want to help your child not be worried about their own life, stop worrying about your child. Yeah, you're right. Now, I'm not saying that means you don't care for your child. <laughs> that's that's right. different from worrying and it causing more anxiety around your child. Does but, that make right, sense? But, yes, it does. Yeah. I mean, if you're if because children look at their parents and they get the signals very very clearly as to the worry on their face and if you act regular and normal around them, they know the difference. Absolutely. And the thing is and this is really from my understanding now after the courses of like really understanding of like how we develop, you know, more as children and Kids are so smart, and even though I might, as an adult, put on a smile and, and show my kid that everything's okay, but internally, if I don't think everything is okay, my child can experience that and really right. feels that. Absolutely. So, so to your question of, like, what really affected it, you know, it is stress and the environment. So, you know, one thing that parents can really do is also work on yourself, and figure out, you know, how to become more joyful, how to become more relaxed, how to become more compassionate, because you are the greatest influencer on your child's life. Absolutely. So, and so and you, and I think so parents you, being role models, not just for their children, but for other parents, for their friends, for their other family members, for their community, it it shows, and if they're acting a certain way, it reflects on other people to say, you know what, look, I really need to be more like m- more like them. And whether it's a child with Tourette's or a child who is a little different or challenging, if you if you're a parent who looks at it a certain way, other parents will look at them and be able to say, you know what, I should handle my situation a little differently, not show it on my face as much and maybe not let it bother me so much. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, another question just about regular life. So there are a lot of teenagers who um, have Tourette's and are interested, especially because you're a college speaker, um, and I think they want to assimilate with you and want to say, like, you're a regular guy, so am I. So what do you say to them about having an actual regular life with a girlfriend and having a relationship, how do you think that that's something that's possible for them? And, I mean, I want it to be, and I think they do too. And, you know, what what kind of advice can you give them about that? I have never kissed a girl in my entire life. <laughs> that's so not true. That's not true at all. That's not true. I, I even have kissed a boy. I'm not going to lie. I was uh, I've got that to So uh, I... So to answer your question, I mean, right off the bat, is clearly anyone who is human is capable of experiencing connection and relationship and and love, you know, regardless of any sort of challenge that you might be dealing with. I think that goes without saying whether or not we all believe that. Uh, I think it definitely is more of a challenge, obviously, than other people. You know, if you're barking like, you're barking like a dog and you're chomping your teeth like you know that's different than other people you know like even just like very basic things of like someone being like you know can you kiss people uh you know things like that and the answer is yes i would tell people that if i was kissing someone and i felt that i needed to tick i would just back away chomp my teeth and then i go back in and everything worked out just fine 
Well, I'm so glad you've cleared that up for all of us now. I'm so glad, well, you know. I, <laughs> no, I, mean, I think it's, it's really important because, you know, teenagers want to know, like, can I have a life? Can I, like, date? And I, I like, you're a good person for them to be well, able to I'll, say, like, yeah, I'll, go. Go out there. I'll, I will use the line also that I wrote in the book because somebody asked after one of my speeches, they go, like, can you have sex? And I was like, look, I have Tourette's. My penis doesn't have Tourette's. And... <laughs> You know, it's like, we're, I am just like... Like, you're a person. You're a human being. I'm, you yeah. have lived your re- a regular life. Right. And I think, again, I think it's just important to, to remember, especially if you're someone that's ticking a lot, to remember that you are doing different things, and that has effects. And right. that might mean you need to talk to maybe 20 more girls or guys versus five, you know, compared to someone else. Like, that just might be the reality. That doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. But I know so, tons of people on the road, of people that say that they're dating someone with ticks or not. You know, I mean, it's there's no question. And and they are probably just maybe a little more tolerant of just people who are a little different. Though so there are so many different people in this world, so um, you know. But I mean, tolerance I'm, is a big key. In all of course, that. I mean, I'm, there's no question that the the people that I've dated and that I've hooked up with, I think, especially when I was taking a bunch, had more compassion. Like, clearly, you know, I had a really serious girlfriend in college, and, like, you know, I'm taking other girls' names while I'm kissing her. You know, right. that took a level of, of, of understanding and compassion that I'm so grateful for. Yeah, no, that takes a very special person to... And there are special people out there that are going to be out there and I think that you know I'm sure for you being a role model for these kids you want to be able to say you know like don't stay in your house forever like go be a person go live your life try different things and there are people out there that want to be with you because I think any teenager wants to hear that and And any parent of a teenager wants to hear that yeah and sometimes you know we live you know, this in such a small world and we forget there's 7 billion people. How many people? I don't even know on the planet now. There's so many people. Someone, <laughs> you can find people There's someone there. for everyone. Yes. Right. Absolutely. So, okay, I have another question. So you're sitting, you're in this audience, you're, you're sitting in this audience, and now, I mean, you're not ticking. Like, I met with you. We, we're talking now. You and I have met in person. And... Do you feel like when you were giving your speeches and you were ticking that there was just this totally different reaction to now when you're giving your motivational speeches and you're not ticking? Do you think that people feel differently about that? Yeah, so I've been speaking for exactly four years. Oh, my God, four years ago today. That's so cool. Four years today today was my first paid speech. That's so so cool. Yeah, so uh, when you know, so for the first two and a two years, you know, I was ticking like crazy, and I think that there was sort of aside from just the message of my speech, that there was just sort of a shock and awe to the fact that someone that's ticking is also a public speaker. So there was just sort of that element to it, which was really cool. Once I was able to really evolve a majority of the of the itch and the ticks, where I no longer was ticking in a way that was noticeable enough during a presentation, I then started to show a video 
of my life of what it used to be like, and I still do that today. I mean, tomorrow I'm speaking at LA, and I'll start off with a video of what my life used to be like. Right, Although, and I've showed that to people like who were knew that you were coming on. Like, go on his Facebook. You have to see this video because if you met him, you wouldn't believe it kind of a thing. So I think that that's important that you show the video. No, otherwise it's just kind of funny, me mimicking the tics now. <laughs> What's really, what is really cool, though, is that, and one thing that I was actually really afraid of as my tics started to abate was that people wouldn't like me if I'm not ticking. Right. Well, that was my question. And, I mean, you're a totally different person somehow without ticking. Like, your whole identity has changed. You don't need to be that person anymore. Like, do you, did you feel like I have to reinvent myself? Well, here's what's so – well, here's the funniest thing is that when my tics really went um, down or, like, went to a level where I wasn't – didn't even need to tell anyone that I that I tick anymore. Yeah. One of my girlfriends, uh, her name is Allie, and she actually did the YouTube documentary about me. She was one of the directors and my friend that proposed it. And I saw her and I said – I was like, Allie, you don't understand how cool this is. I now meet people, and they have a totally different experience of who I am. Yeah. And she looked at me, and she goes, Mark, you don't know that. She goes, you don't know if that's true. Because the thing is is that I knew you beforehand, and I experienced experienced you in the exact same way. Oh, that's so interesting. And so what what was so different, Stephanie, is that my experience of myself was so different. Right. So you viewing yourself is very right it makes a lot of sense though i mean right so you're, I was you're still like, you right and but i was like experiencing a whole new me yes and like i was like finding all these parts of me that i hadn't really experienced and the best part is is that yes my presentation is is all about you know live and let live and about how little we know about other other people's lives now there's this implicit message about overcoming unimaginable things and about what is possible, and about limiting beliefs. And uh, I think that might be sort of phase two of of my speaking career. Yeah. Because, right, cause, you know, just you're sitting in the audience, and you see this video, and then you see this guy, and you're like, wait, what? What what, what happened? Right. How, how could this be? Right, because I think that people almost, and I, I can vouch for the fact I've met you in person, but I mean, you would meet you and be like, he's lying. Like, he just couldn't even, he made it up. I mean, I, I just, and, and until you saw your, your videos or people who knew you in the past, like someone like a TJ, you know, they, it just, you meet yourself now and you're a completely different person, but you still are Mark and you're still your same funny personality that has been that way since you were a child. Yes. So it's been it's been a, it's been such an incredible journey. I can't these past two and a half years specifically. I mean, the past four have been amazing, but the past two and a half years specifically have been, you know, it's been one of the greatest challenges of my life, and yet simultaneously the greatest achievement that I've ever had. And uh, it's it's been wonderful. I just have a few a few more questions, a few quickly yes. before you know we have to go. But what? is a good way that parents can explain to younger children when they see um, a person with Tourette's or not Tourette's, even just a kid who's ticking or, I mean, I have three kids. I, I have kids over my house and 
they, I've seen them tick, and you know, maybe I'm used to it because of my job. But I mean, how can you tell other parents that it, this is not um, everyday life? But they're sitting at McDonald's or somewhere, and they see someone who's having some severe ticks. What should they be saying to their children? Honestly, I don't even think that they need to say something. Well, what about when their kid, because I don't know, I sort of disagree as far as, like, I have a six-year-old, and he would say to me, Mommy, why, why is he doing that? What is that? Why is he Why is he saying that? And, I mean, I would want to handle it in a positive way. So, because oh, so I, I would want my child to realize, like, there are people who can't, control themselves and this is what they're doing and this is you know what well, like what would you want them to be saying if you you know remember the young mark who was 12 who was uncomfortable to be doing that like what would you want that other child to know okay so i thought you were saying just like if a kid didn't even say something to you no like, like if they're you, saying like, to their if parent, someone like, yeah yeah i i would i would explain it in the most simple terms of just like oh some people tick. I, it's even hard to even imagine now. Um, I, I, I would really just be cognizant that the way that you explain it is that there's nothing that's wrong with this person. That everyone just has different kinds of behaviors. And this yeah. happens to be a kind of behavior. Yeah, cause I because I think that addressing it instead of, um, I, oh, instead of not, instead of ignoring it is so inappropriate. Oh, I yeah, I wasn't saying ignore it, but the thing yeah. is that if you if you uh, uh, if you imply that something is wrong, so this is really interesting to think about. If you imply that there's something wrong with this child, subconsciously or potentially even consciously, when that child now interacts with that other kid or an, another future kid with ticks, right, that will change their behavior with that child. Hundred percent. So it's it's really important to be cognizant of of the way that you describe it in the sense of oh look we all have behaviors and maybe related to even behaviors of your the child that you're explaining it to related to their own behaviors. Right. You know, of like yeah. oh you know how you do that well yeah sometimes people okay, do that. Okay, yeah, that's a, oh I actually yeah no I think that that's good I think that that I mean because I think addressing it is so important. And I think that what you just said, relating it to their own behaviors, because everyone has a little quirk or something that they do. Exactly. And, exactly. you know, I think like, look, like we said, you know, next year you could have a kid in your class who's ticking or something or Tourette's or anything. And I think that how you handle it in that moment is going to be how that child files it away for them for one day down the road when they meet someone that has that, that Tourette's or a ticking or something, and how their parent handles it is key for how they're going to be more tolerant towards whoever they come into contact with. Of course. Yeah, no, it's it, it's very important that parents handle it a certain way. Um, so can I, can I ask you, who do you think that you are a role model for today? Role model for it? I know I, you're going to be like, oh, I'm not a role model, but you are. So let's... Who do you who do you think you're a role model for? Yeah, I guess I haven't wanted to own that on many levels. Well, I think you should. I, yeah, I I think that, and will be happening more and more. I I think there's no question I'm a role model for. Um, I really think it goes beyond Tourette's now. 
of really being willing to challenge your own story. That a lot of times we have a story about who we are and that we can't change that thing inside of us. And I think about what I've been able to do with, you know, with with Incredible Health is that we really... we really might have way more potential to do things and change who we are than, than we than we think is possible. And I think because of what's happened to me, I'm, I'm a role model for many people in that light. I think I'm also just a role model for a lot of like young people out there, a lot of teenagers and a lot of college students of just being someone out there on the road, you know, over these past four years of just being really open and honest about my struggle. And I think we live in a culture where everyone's very, very afraid to to show people that they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, I think one reason why people respond so well to my presentations uh, is that they just connect with the fact that I'm honest and open about my struggle. And I, that they see like, oh my God, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not so alone true. out there. Right. And you really are. I mean, you're so out there. Like, even when you and I spoke and you were like, I'm an open book. You could ask me whatever I want. You know, whatever you want, I'll tell. And, like, I want I want to be able to help people. And you're just not embarrassed, which I think so many people are just protecting themselves socially and don't are so afraid of what people might think of them if they misstep or mess up or say something that – they're afraid someone might not like or may judge them for. And you're so not like that. You're so like, this is me, this is who I am, and this is take it or leave it. You know, life is not like that. And I so agree with that. Well, and, and understand too, Stephanie, it's not, that it's, it's not that I'm not embarrassed on any level. It's just that I also have really pushed the envelope and really pushed a lot of fears in certain areas. So it wasn't like in the beginning I was, you know, jumped in front of the class and said, hey, everyone, my name is Mark and I have Tourette's. You know, it started out really right. slow. Right. And the same thing with my intestinal issue. So I think it's just important to recognize that it isn't just like, oh, this is who I who I am, that right. I really have, I've built that, you know, I've built that muscle in a sense to be really open. And I think that's just important because it just shows that it is one important. Of us it's right because it's not like okay, I was just like this, but that it was a journey for you, and well, it is a journey for any child that has Tourette's who is struggling and getting comfortable with who they are. Yes, but the, the reason I think it's most important to recognize is because it shows that any one of us can build it. Right. Yeah. It isn't no, just by chance. Absolutely. Well, of course, you and I, I know, I, I knew we, we we could talk for hours, but I have to start to get ready to wrap up our show cool. for tonight, and I want to be able to give everyone an opportunity to hear, you know, so they can find you. So, you know, I'm so, so grateful to have had the opportunity to have you on the show, and I do say that I really believe you are a role model for so many people, um, and I hope that you are a resource for so many families because I think that there are many people that need to be inspired by someone as special as you in, in their life, and I think that you definitely do that for people. Um, so please tell all the listeners where they can find out more information about you and hear you speak. You're, like, never home. You're always speaking, email, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. So tell us. 
Yeah, so one, Stephanie, thank you just, you know, so much for asking me to do this. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, and, and also just to the Coffee Clatch for letting me be a part of the community. Um, if any of you would like to check me out, you can you can go to my website at markelliot.com, M-A-R-C, that's the French way, E-L-L-I-O-T.com. And also, um, you know, I meet and talk uh, with families all across the country, and I even do, you know, presentations um, about the courses that have helped me in New York City. If you want to find out more about those opportunities, please email. She's uh, my awesome assistant is Tree. Her name is Teresa, but we call her Tree. And it's just T-R-E-E at com, and she'll be able to help you out. And again, Stephanie, just thank you so much for everything. Oh, I forgot. Where am I speaking next? Yeah. I'm I'm all <laughs> over the country. So to, I'm looking... So tomorrow I'm in L.A., Tuesday I'm in Minnesota, Thursday Iowa, Thursday Wisconsin, Saturday Chicago, and I'm back in – I'm all over the place. But you can check out my calendar on my, yeah. on my website. And, you're, it's, and it's all, your calendar's on your website, and I'm telling you that I'm getting you to New York, to my office, to make sure that you definitely meet with some of the families and that I know of because I've been getting an unbelievable response from people who want to meet you. So – Again, thank you so much for being on tonight. I know everyone who is listening is in awe of what an incredible guy you are. And I have a feeling that listening, people are just a little more hopeful today. And hearing your story and your advice and your insight, I think parents watching their children struggle, I think they're thinking sometimes, like, why me? Why my child? And they're desperate for them to be able to assimilate with someone who has gone through what you have and you know, has turned out as amazing as you. I think it's sort of like I always describe it as like looking through a telescope and one day saying like, you know what, I remember hearing this guy, Mark Elliott, speak, and if my kid can end up just like him one day, then uh, I will be all right. And I think a lot of people are thinking that after listening to this interview. So thanks again for taking the time to, to talk to me tonight. And I know you're so, so busy, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Stephanie, and uh, to everyone listening, thank you so much, and I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful night. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. Good night. Bye-bye.